This program is supported by an educational grant from Sun Pharma Canada, Inc., made available through the CDA Corporate Supporter Program. Hi, welcome to Dermalogs. This is a podcast series specifically designed for dermatology residents. As you know, I'm Dr. Carrie Purdy. I'm a dermatologist here on the beautiful East Coast in Halifax, and I do part-time academic and part-time community. As residents, you don't always get a chance to hear from dermatologists that are outside of your center, and this podcast is designed to try to change that. One of the goals of the series is to try to help you, the dermatology residents, get answers from the expert dermatologists across the country to some of your burning questions on key areas. And one of those experts that is joining us on this episode is Dr. Sandy Scott-Nicky. And uh, I'm sure that everyone has heard of her. And I have to admit, I feel like I have a real celebrity dermatologist with me on this episode because Dr. Scott-Nicky has a ton of media um, experience, if you will. And so I'm feeling a little, um, you know... What's the word? Nervous? I don't know. Nervous? No. Nervous, but. <laughs> um, so in any event, I did want to thank you very much, Sandy, for joining me on this podcast. And I know that the residents will be able to pick up a few um, key things from our chat this evening or today, I'm sorry. Um, and what we're going to really be chatting about is hot topics in allergic contact dermatitis. Right. And so maybe you could tell us before we get going a little bit about your practice and, and what you focus on uh, in your clinical practice in, in Toronto. Well, I have a full uh, service dermatology clinic. I've had my center for about 13 years now. So I do everything, children, you know, adults, teenagers. I do do uh, patch testing in my clinic. But as you know, it's, it's very time consuming and you need nurses and staff to do that and costly. Um, so I do uh, routine North American standard 80 series in my clinic, but in my hospital clinic at St. Mike's on Mondays, I do more occupational dermatology and, uh, I do some cosmetic here as well. I try to, I think it's really nice to have a center that does everything. Like if somebody has an allergy, they can get patch tested. If they want to have an injection, if they want to have a skin check, they have children. It's nice to offer the everything. I think that's so uh, what I try to do. A one-stop shopping type of model. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Well, you know, I thought that when I was trying to develop the initial topics that I thought we'd talk about, um, allergic contact dermatitis was right at the top. And actually, mm -hmm. it was Dr. Uh, Lori Parsons was talking about allergic contact when I kind of came up with this concept. And I think that in particular, there are certain centers where there's a lot of allergic contact yeah. and occupational exposure. And then there's other centers where residents are that there's just not so much. And so this Nothing. in particular, Some, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think is an area where, you know, there's such a diversity. Myself, I was lucky enough to go to Ottawa for a month as a resident, hang out with Melanie Pratt, <laughs> um, get so much experience. Yeah. And I, I remember thinking when I went in, oh, this is going to be so boring and all these chemical names. And I remember at the end of it thinking, that was so fun and very like Sherlock Holmesy, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. you get to do a lot of that. So, you know, I, that's how, what I found interesting about allergic contact, but what, how did you originally get into, uh, contact dermatitis as a special area? Well, I trained in Ottawa and, you know, Melanie was just sort of started, ah. starting out <laughs> and, yeah. uh, she'd probably been doing it for about five years. So I, I mean, I was one of the first residents to really help her make all of her information sheets and, and, you know, just like what, what happened to you, the experience was, was, I really like this. I really enjoy this. And then when I came to Toronto, there wasn't a lot, like Joel was just start, sort of starting out. Dr. DeCoven was just starting out too. Mm -hmm. 
So yeah. um, we kind of built up the St. Mike's Clinic together from an occupational setting. Um, and part of that was from Dr. Holness, who's a respirologist, but she runs the center there. And she um, she just was so good at organizing with the government, with the WSIB, and just having funding to be able to, because occupational cases are very, really time consuming. And Absolutely. you're not going to get remunerated with an OHIP. And you can't really help them because the return to work part is so important. And you can't do that with, with just a OHIP um, pay schedule and time schedule. Yeah, you know, it's really challenging. I currently have a patient, I think I probably email Melanie once a week about mm -hmm. her, but, you know, mm -hmm. she's got multiple allergic contacts. She's a, a an x-ray tech and she's allergic yeah. to gloves and it's a whole, or she's an interventional tech. She's allergic to gloves. It's a disaster. And, and one of the things that's challenging for me in particular is that we don't have that occupational clinic here in Nova Scotia. So, um, you know, from time to time, we actually have to send patients. But, um, yeah. and I think yeah. that it can be hard for me teaching the residents because, we don't have an occupational clinic, so I kind of go, well, here's what you do, but I really get to do well, that. Well, I think, but the one of the most important things, I always try to make sure that the, the residents that come through my clinic is to understand um, that it, it can occur. Like, I had a patient um, today, I've got, I've had two, actually, in the last month, and I have never seen this in 20 years, that have a lichen planus um, allergic contact to their workplace. And the thing is, oh. is if you didn't know about it, you know, it's like, it's just the knowledge that, okay, I think I heard about this or this could be possibly occupational and not to dismiss it because sometimes these patients suffer for so long. So you may not have oh, yeah. the resources, but you can at least identify and say, okay, we need to send you somewhere where they can work you up. Because um, a lot of these patients suffer for a long time and um, people don't see that it's work-related. Right. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point for the residents to think about that. And mm -hmm. I, I think sometimes you kind of forget about that when you're seeing patients and you're you're going quickly. Yeah. Um, I wanted to start just with some of the basics. Um, so, you know, I'm just thinking, say a patient comes in to see you, they referred for, you know, whatever dermatitis. And, um, you know, when you see that patient, what's your general approach to kind of determining if you think it's an allergic contact? Do you take the history to get someone else to take a history? Do you have a form that you use? Um, what's your general workup to decide, does this patient need patch testing? I'm not that organized. <laughs> I'm still sort of old school. I do it all on my own. All on my own. Okay. I should have forms. Um, I mean, I'm, like at this point now, I'm I'm referred so many people. So there's there's already a bias there. I, I They're more than likely right. work-related or... Uh, a product related. Um, I think the most important, th one of the most important tips I, things I tell residents is, um, especially when they're early on, I say, how long does allergic contact dermatitis last? And sometimes they'll look at me like, what do you mean by that? It it's a three-week disease untreated, right? It's kind of like erythema multiforme is a three-week disease untreated. So if somebody's rash is lasting two days, or, so the temporal association or duration of the rash is the most, the eruption, whatever the patient is coming in with, is the most important. And I think okay. it's we it's intuitive, but if you, you have to really, you know, ask the question, how long does it last? Because they'll say, they want to call everything hives. They want to call it, you know, everything's <laughs> allergy. You know, 80% of, of contact dermatitis is irritant, which is the boring stuff, right? right. Um, you know, it's a diagnosis of exclusion after patch testing, but you can tell often with history, um, especially if you're in an area where you can't patch test, you know, you'll read, you, you'll, you'll read that you cannot tell the difference between allergy and irritation, um, just on history, which is true, but there are cues. 
So um, I always ask their occupation. I ask the temporal association. Um, you know, do they have kids or do they cook? Do they clean? Because all of that's an irritant factor. Uh, distribution right. is important. Um, and, you know, does it get better when they're away on vacation? Does it get better when, when they're, you know, uh, over Christmas? All those logical questions. But, um, and then if you're, if you're really um, considering it, you have to patch test because the gold standard for diagnosis of allergic content dermatitis is patch testing. And do you think, um, I, I mean, I guess you have access to tons of allergens. So this may be a bit of a silly question for you, especially where you would get referrals predominantly, I'm assuming, from other dermatologists. Yeah. But, you know, when you're deciding what to patch, um, again, is that just something you go through thinking about all the those components? You know, what's their, what's their occupation or what mm -hmm. type of things might they be coming into contact with? Or do you sort of always do... X, Y, or Z. I'm you should always, you always do the you should always series. do a, You should always do a standard. And I, right. I did a little research because um, I haven't looked at the stats and I couldn't really find, most of the publications were, were kind of outdated. Um, they, what I was looking for was how much, how, how often will you miss um, relevant contact dermatitis if you're doing just the true test? Um, right. I, think, I think it's, you know, I can't give you a statistic because the, the data is sort of old now. Um, and I couldn't find anything more recent. I think you miss quite a bit. Um, so if you're going to patch test, like if you're going to patch test in your office, two things, you have to be able to, the most important is you have to be able to educate your patients on the positives. There's no point in, you know, it drives me crazy. Like sometimes allergists will patch test people and they'll, they'll, they'll say, oh, I was allergic to X, Y, and Z, but they didn't tell me what to, how to avoid it. That's, it's useless. <laughs> Super helpful. So don't do it if you're not going to educate yourself on that. And you can do a patch test course at the AAD. It's, they're, they're well run and you can get all the information and the information sheets. Number two, Great. I think if you're, you know, if you do want to do it, I, I've always think you should do something full on. Do the, the North American standard series, either the 70 from Dorm or yeah. the 80 from Smart Practice, um, because the true test, you're just going to miss people. And if they, if, if you're a community dermatologist, I think that's awesome. Like if you're doing that, anything more than that, um, because the screening trays, especially the North American core group, because we, they're updated every year. They take out stuff right. that's old. They add things that are more current. Um, and if they, if you really feel they're, they're allergic, um, after that, I think part of the, you can send them on, but I think part of it is, um, the other really important thing about patch testing, which I, I make sure patients understand and residents is that patch testing is only, um, you're only testing the patient to what you're testing them to. You're not testing them to everything. And that's the problem exactly. with cosmetics and personal care, especially with the uh, plant-based and organic skincare. I feel like we miss a lot. There's also, um, in last year's meeting, there was a whole bunch of information about mislabeling. or uh, So MI and formaldehyde releasers are in products, but they're not actually on the label. Right. And and household um, products don't actually have to be labeled. There's no re That's legislation crazy. on that. So, you know, I had a fellow uh, the other day who was allergic to MI, wildly allergic to MI, and he brought in all his products, nothing. And his detergent, we ended, we found out that it was Kirkland detergent, but there's nothing on the label. So he Ugh. called the company at Costco, and he, he did a lot of research, and yes, in fact, it did have MI in it. So mislabeling is another issue. Um, but to get back to your, your original question, I think distribution is also another thing. I think everyone should do the standard, but sometimes I'll add textile 
if it's widespread, right? If you're thinking, yes, you know, especially flexures around the around the arm, so under the arms, around the neck, around the waist. Uh, Nomular dermatitis sometimes can be caused by uh, uh, certain dyes, so textile would be helpful. Um, But, you know, in general, you've got the dispersed 124, 106 on the standard, and you've got uh, the formaldehyde uh, resins on there as well. So you'll catch, you should catch those. And I guess I think about it sometimes, too, that if maybe I got one of those uh, screening tests positive, then I would go on and do more patch testing. And, and that's me as a community dermatologist thinking mm-hmm. that. But, yeah. um, you know, when I, I, I want to come back to a bunch of things that you touched on there. But I think first we should take a question from the residents. So let's go to that now. You've reached the world headquarters of the Dermalogs podcast. Hi, Dermalogs. My name is Alia Bosworth, and I'm a third-year resident at Dalhousie. I'm wondering, when should a community dermatologist who does patch testing refer a patient to a tertiary institution with more sophisticated testing? Thanks so much. Thanks, Alia. That's a great question. I mean, I guess occupational uh, consideration for workers' comp, for sure. Definitely. But what other, yeah. you know, other scenarios would be reasonable to refer? I mean, I think the occupational is really the, the, the more important one. Because a lot of the standard testing is going to pick up, you know, um, if it's just, if they're not, if they're working in an office or they're working just at home. Um, I think, you know, what we're seeing a lot is these people with chronic widespread dermatitides that patch, or sorry, patch testing is negative and even extended patch testing is negative and we don't know. We don't know what's going on with these people. So sometimes right. those kind of, you know, it's sort of the older patient. I don't know if you've been seeing those. I have tons of them, tons of them. Um, and they're patch test negative, extended patch test negative, um, biopsy sort of nonspecific, dermatitis, um, you know, and they don't... acute spongiotic changes. Yeah, and nothing, nothing, we, we, we get them down to, you know, my sort of product elimination thing, like they're not using a lot. And they still have an issue. So yeah. I think the most important thing for community dermatologists would be to, if, if the standard, the North American standard of 7080 is negative, and you really feel like you're missing something, send them for an opinion. Sometimes okay. even just an opinion, like I, 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 you know this, with chronic hand dermatitis, the rule is yeah. send them for patch testing, you know, it's to be complete, you should patch test before Tuctino. You should, you know, yep. patch this before you put somebody on Dupixent. Um, and, um, you know, if, if you really feel there's something you're missing, send for another opinion, just if, even if it's a negative opinion. For sure. Uh, you know, thinking about that patient that you just mentioned, those older patients, they're dermatitic, widespread, even young, you know, people that are really, you know, they're having a really rip-roaring allergic contact reaction. You can settle them with some PRED or whatever. But, um, you know, I, I have a big collection of patients that always seem to be, not crazy enough to need prednisone, but mm-hmm. not cool enough to patch test. How do you tend yeah. to yeah. shut those people down to be able to patch test them? Well, that's pretty standardized, uh, I think, it, across the world. Uh, I patch test often on 10 to 20 milligrams of prednisone. I mean, right. a- almost every other patient, because the patients I get referred to are so bad. So, yeah. um, I mean, obviously, you increase your risk of, of false negatives. But I try with 10 if possible, because I think it's a better better, um, you know, less false negatives. Um, yeah. But I'll, you know, I'll have to do 20. You can't patch test on cyclosporin or Dupixin. It's going to just prevent right. the positives. Methotrexate, Imuran, there are some few papers talking about dosings, but 
nobody really knows. You just try to keep them on the lowest possible to keep their back clear. I think I always try to patch this people um, on the prednisone. And, and more, most of the time I get all these batty topics. Um, I get them down to irritant-free skincare, fragrance-free, organic-free, MI-free, formaldehyde-free, um, patch test them, they're negative. Um, and I put, I, you know, the, I'm either putting them on Dupix and Imuran or methotrexate. So right. you want to patch test on the prednisone, if possible, 10 milligrams. Okay. That's pretty reasonable. I think, you know, when you're a resident, sometimes you learn no prednisone, no methotrexate, no cyclosporin. And, and I think practically speaking, it, you can't, you're right. Maybe a low dose prednisone is the best way to do it. Yeah. Um, with those people, you just can't stop. Yeah. Um, I know that um, uh, when I was a resident and I was working with Melanie, she would often recommend that I, you know, come down to the American Contact Derm Society meeting mm-hmm. just pre, like preceding the AAD. Do you think that, do you think that resident that, or sorry, do you think that meeting is resident level relevant or do you think it's like way over the top for most residents? And, you know, I don't really know what I'm asking here other mm-hmm. than to say, do you think it's reasonable for residents to attend the American Contact Derm I think uh, it's, meeting? I, if, I think if people have a, a genuine interest, because it is, you're going to go into some things that are quite, you know, I, I'm always learning and I've been right. doing this for 20 years and I go, oh my gosh, I didn't know that. So, I mean, as a resident, it might be a bit overwhelming, but, um, you know, it also will, I, I, I think it's really helpful, but you know this, you go to meetings and you're like, wow, man, I don't know anything. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> That's and, me and, on a daily basis. Yeah. And then also, but it says, it also, you know, kind of spurs you on to, to want to learn about something. Cause when you realize that you might be actually not treating your patients properly because you you don't know something that that really yeah. spurs you on. I think there's at the AAD there is a general contact dermatitis review um, symposium uh, right. usually every year where they kind of they pick like six six speakers and they'll go through what's new in you know fragrance allergy what's new in this what's new in that and those are the kind of talks that the residents should be going to um if you want to start a patch test clinic they uh it's american and there's some billing stuff and all that stuff you don't need but it'll sort of give you how to patch test how to photo patch test you know um what should you start with what are the percentage of people you're going to miss with x like those questions you've sort of asked me so though those kind of um I think it's a, you know, they do those symposiums now or those, those workshops, no workshops. Yeah. Workshops. Yeah. yeah. So I think those are really good to do if you want to start patch testing in your community area. It's a good thing to do. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and, and this is just a random question, not related to that, but how many times a day, if you're doing a patch clinic day, are you asked about scratch testing or do patients really Mm -hmm. think they're seeing an allergist or like, you know, how often are you on a percentage wise talking about food allergy? Is that something that comes up regularly? To be honest with you, that's part of the reason I wrote the book. I mean, there's so much misinformation about allergy. Yes, everybody thinks they're coming for prick testing, um, like the vast majority. And yeah, everyone wants to blame things on food. Um, now we should talk a little bit about food. I do think that there are some systemic food things, but it's, that's, and that's again, important to know that, but, um, it's not like, you're right. Patients think that they're being prick tested. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about food since that's a nice segue, but you know, when, when you're, when you are thinking about food or, you know, because my, what I used to always say was, 
yeah, this isn't food related, but, Mm -hmm. you know, I think from a systemic contact perspective, what type of things should we be thinking about when we're seeing patients when it comes to foods well, or the, the, um, additives? The two most common are balsam and and possibly nickel. Okay. Um, and, um, you know, I have seen some people that are allergic to compositime mix. If they eat like a ton of, you know, um, was it chamomile or, you know, you, you might see a recall of their, right. but most of the time it's the only two, the only cases that I've really found relevant are balsam and the sort of dietary uh, crossover with, you know, vanilla, curry, cinnamon. Um, the nickel one, it's interesting. You know, I went to the European contact meeting, which was that really compared to the North American one, much more science-based. And, um, I learned a lot, um, and they don't feel that the nickel in the diet, it's not the right form to cause systemic contact. So I don't really okay. know how I feel about that anymore, but I do. I, I have had patients with really bad dyshydrotic hand eczema get better with a nickel low diet. Um, again, I think it's something to that you need to know about. Um, mm-hmm. I still think we don't really understand it very well, how that works. Um, but I've seen patients get better with both balsam, balsam proof, low diets and nickel free diets. Okay. Yeah. Um, if you're a resident and you kind of want to make sure that you're up to date on some of the hotter allergens, what do you think, you know, and I mean, this is, you know, disclaimer to the residents, this has nothing to do with your exam, but what would be the top five sort of hot allergens that they might want to be aware of, or what are you seeing more of in your, in your clinical practice? Well, I mean, we're still seeing the methyl isothiazonolone, um, you know, it's not as prevalent, but I had a a worker the other day who was using some sort of eucerin, leave-on moisturizer that the, it had MI in it. And I mean, it's, Mm -hmm. MI is banned in leave-on products in Europe. Um, So that's, that, I I think everyone's kind of aware of that now. Um, Linolul is uh, becoming a a real interesting allergen. It's a fragrance allergen. It's also found in many essential oils. It's almost found in all essential oils. It's in lavender. essential oils. Yeah, that's another thing. And um, (laughs) um, it's a terpene, right? And so CBD uh, oil is a a terpene. And so um, I'm not sure what... I think that's going to be the next big thing we might see with allergy because it's just starting to be used topically. Right. So I know one of the one of the burning questions that a lot of the residents have as they start to prepare for the Royal College exams is, um, you know, there's a lot of allergic contact stuff to know. But, you know, if you were to advise them, what are some big areas that they might want to focus on or sort of allergens that are really important that they know? Do you have any advice for that? Yeah, I mean, I have residents come through all the time. Two things. Um, I think because I was an examiner for six, five, six years, I think... Um, and I, you know, in my day-to-day uh, life as a dermatologist, I always say, do you want to be a good dermatologist or you just want to pass your exam? So exactly. you, sh- so you should learn the the standard series. At least understand, okay, what are formaldehyde releasers? That's a common question. How to counsel somebody if they're nickel allergic, if they're PPD allergic? Um, you know, what what's the difference between uh, what are the different uh, preservatives, parabens, MI, MCI, you know, formaldehyde releasers, the different surfactants, cocomethylpropylbetaine, methyl propyl betaine, decyl glycoside. So these kinds of groups of things, because this is, 
if you want to be a good dermatologist, you need to be able to counsel people on that. You need to understand fragrance. You need to understand that it's very complex. There's, you know, 33,000 fragrance molecules. There's a lot of natural ones. Um, you need to be able to answer your question, uh, patient's question, you know, is natural better than synthetic? And that all comes down to, again, contact allergy stuff. So, um, you know, I'm not into what's the newest and hottest. I think, I think residents should uh, be able to know the most common allergens on the standard, which is basically all of the standard, and be able right. to say what they do and how to avoid them. Fair enough. And, you know, those are the things that most people are going to be allergic to in their community or, you know, non-occupational based practice. Mm -hmm. And that leads me to another one of the residents' questions. So let's play that now. Hi, Dermalogs. My name is Christina, and I'm a second year resident at Dalhousie University. My question for you is, for the most common allergens, how do you counsel a patient on cross-reactants? For example, for paraphenylene diamine allergy, what should patients avoid in the future? Thanks so much. That's a great question, Christina. And I'll just add to that. What resources do you tend to give to the patient? Do you use the CAMP database? Do you use uh, the allergies sheets? Do you have your own sheets? Um, well, we've made, yeah, we've made up our own sheets and, and we're very, like I've shared them with many people. They're also, I have all the PPD um, information in my book now, like, uh, and it's on my website, you know, so you could right. go, they could easily go in there. So I talk about um, if you're allergic to PPD, there are many um, synonyms. So, you, you know, or cross reactions. So when, you know, the, one of the commonest things uh, that trips patients up is um, they'll go to the store, the health food store, and they'll say PPD free, but it contains aminophenol, which still cross reacts with PPD. So right. um, that it's not, the consumer products is not going to help. So the, the dermatologist has to be able to explain it has to be free of all of the PPDs. So there are certain brands and you, it's basically on my sheet. You can, you can get it from um, lots of articles. Uh, Andy Sherman uh, is a dermatologist that writes a lot about alternatives when, when patients are allergic. Free on, on the um, PubMed, you can download that and get all the alternatives. Um, cross reactions. I know a lot of people make a lot about the cross reactions from, because PPD is in the PABA group and the azo group. So the sulfa meds for diuretic, you know, diuretics, diabetic, uh, anti-diabetic uh, glyburide. I've never right. seen that. I've never seen it in 20 years. It's, it's theoretical risk. But I think okay. it's, that's an exam type of thing. Um, and, um, but again, practical information. So you tell your, your patients like Goldwell, Illumin, hair dye uses acid dyes. It's not in the azo group. That's just one to remember. There are others right. that, that are based on... PTDS, which is a, an azo group, but it's only cross-reacts 25% with patients that are allergic to PPD. So you just get a sheet and you have all that information and it's widely accessible. You just have to print it off and have it in your office. Right. Yeah. And I tend to send them either the CAMP database or um, I'll print them off something with all the cross-reacting chemicals to look for. But, you yeah. know, I find sometimes in a community practice, it can be a time crunch when you're trying to yeah. explain to them. So I, I think building in enough time for those follow-ups, at least at your final patch reading, is probably one of the good things that you yeah. can do when you're in practice. Um, also, just talking about, you know, 
sunscreen, and that's always a hot topic, I think, for for patients and saying, you know, I can't tolerate that sunscreen, or I'm allergic to that sunscreen. Um, And then from a resident perspective, thinking about allergens and photoallergens, do you, this may be even in your book, but do you have a list of safe sunscreens that you tend to recommend Mm -hmm. as an overarching, like, these are probably pretty good, more of a mineral-based person, you know, does it... So if if I'm suspecting anybody has a true allergy to sunscreen, I direct them to mineral sunscreens that are fragrance-free. Because right. the sunscreen uh, allergy reactions can be not only from the sunscreen chemical uh, filter, but from preservatives or fragrance. So number one, you go fragrance-free. Um, you don't have any preservatives that are problematic. And um, you go with mineral filters, zinc and titanium. So, th- so th- I have a list, but there's, you know, La Roche-Posay has a mineral sunscreen. It's going to be fragrance-free, no preservatives that are problematic, Bioderma, um, uh, what else, Aven. So I have a list of that and I give it to patients. Then I book them for patch testing. But you know that 80% of patients who say they're allergic are irritant. And, um, you know, you can sort of tease that out a little bit with history, but they often like to be patch tested. The most common allergens to chemical filters are benzophenone 3 and 4 and uh, avobenzone parcel 1789. Receive a few right. octocrylons. Um, now, photo patch testing is very challenging. I mean, it's even challenging to do in Toronto because we only have one place and... Um, I've got to start doing it, I think, in my St. Mike's Center because the list is so waiting list is so long. But it's not very common. It's really uncommon. Right. And you'll see the sparing uh, under the chin. And, you know, it's like photo distributed. And um, uh, I, I mean, I very rarely see it. Maybe I'm not okay. looking for it enough. But I, I think, again, to understand that it can happen and to know what you need to do um, is the most important thing for community dermatologists. I would agree. And I, I would say that it makes me feel better if you're not seeing it very often, because uh, mm-hmm. I assume that you probably have a lower threshold for thinking about those types yeah. of things than, than I do on a regular basis. Yes. So what I, you, you have, you have a book that you've recently published and, you know, I, I really love the title Beyond Soap. And um, tell me a little bit about what brought you to decide to write that and what your target audience, like general yeah. public, you know, well, it was definitely that. general public. Well, part of it was, and I remember talking to Melanie about this, and see, with, with Dr. Pratt's practice, she sees, um, they've really been triaged down to like really bad people. Now, I have a lot of really like severe people as well, but I see tons of people with this sort of cosmetic, you know, intolerance kind of stuff, sensitive skin stuff. And I was getting bombarded with them. And just this sort of lack of understanding of, you know, is it from food? Um, and they're using, you know, 20 products and they're, they're all irritant. And the only, over the years, I sort of honed down this, eliminate everything, use this subscribed list of products. A lot of them got better. So I, I was talking about it with somebody and they said, you know, you should write a book. And then, and then I, and then I met a writer and then we did a book proposal. It all happened very fast. And I got three book offers. Um, and I think there was a real need for this knowledge, um, from, from somebody who's not a, you know, blogger or or whatever, a cosmetic person who owns their Do you mean an influencer? Yeah, exactly. Influencer. (laughs) And I think the reception of it has been very good. And and you know, what I learned, um, which is fascinating, so I I meant to write a book about allergic contact dermatitis. And I do do that in the book. But then it became this bigger story as I started to I mean I researched for a year. I basically did 
um, a PubMed search of eczema, dermatitis, allergy, everything back to 1960. And what I wow. learned was um, this whole sort of story about microbiome, uh, pH, skin barrier, and sort of the increase in eczema and allergy and how it may relate to how we care for our skin and wash and um, sort of like the, you know, the hygiene hypothesis, but much more extended than that because there's been so much more research. And it was quite timely right. with the microbiome. So that's, there's that part of the book as well. And I know that I'm sure you see a lot of patients, I see a lot of patients referred with atopic eczema for patch testing and they're irritant. And, Always, no, yeah. and no one's taken the time to just say, like, I'll, I'll, I'll say, well, what do you wash with? Well, I use Axe. Or, you know, what's your detergent? Well, I have, you know, I use bounce fabric. So you just take all that away and they get better. And I, I personally, I don't want to see all those people. I don't have the time to see them all. And they're suffering needlessly. So that's part of why I wrote the book. And, you know, as I, I think it's really interesting that you say that because I've sort of melded that into my uh, regular practice. So I see people, it looks like an irritant contact and I give them I basically give them a modified list from for Melanie of mm -hmm. products that are safe that's, and that's uh, from and my say, list <laughs> it, it, I know <laughs> it should just be like everyone else but me here you go right I give them a list and then I kind of say like listen if this is an ongoing issue or you're having recurrent flares then we'll think about patch testing but I don't do it right from the get-go and and you know a, a fair number of those people do never come back right. either right because they're better or they they didn't like me, but you know, either, yeah. either or. Um, <laughs> but I think good what, for me. what happens a lot though. Uh, what, sorry, I shouldn't have said that. No. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so really interesting. And I mean, I get, I'm assuming that you hear some of those common comments from patients like the, oh, it can't be my shampoo. I've no. been using it for 20 years. 20 years, or, yeah. What's your typical, you know, I, I have oh, I Melanie's voice in my shoulder going like, yeah. you have to develop an allergy, you have to be exposed to it, you know, allergies are acquired. Um, do you have a, a sort of like thing that you always snappy thing you say to patients when they give you those, you know, comments about how it's, they've been using something for 20 yeah. years? No, I say, you know, allergy takes time to occur. Um, you know, and, and most of them will go, oh, I didn't know that. That's, that's common. But I think the biggest, the biggest thing that and again, part of the reason I wrote this book is um, most of these people aren't allergic. And right. as we were just talking about, and, and you know, I think the, the concept of cumulative irritation, which I talk a lot about in the book, really came from my occupational um, practice where we saw in the last 10 years this huge, massive increase in hand dermatitis, in the, especially in the healthcare sector. Because mm -hmm. of the sheer number of times they now have to wash and disinfect, you know, it's just skyrocketed and it's just going higher and higher. And the, the amount of people with hand dermatitis we're referred to see in my occupational clinic is huge. And they're all negative. They're not allergic, 80% right. of them. So this so it sort of dawned on me, like, the cumulative irritation from what we do to our skin day to day with with um, the patients we see with eczema or rosacea that's not getting better or just all of our atopic patients. And you can give them the sheet, but they'll go back and they'll just go, well, they'll, they'll go get something organic or they'll, and they don't understand. We don't have the time in the office to explain it to them. And, exactly. and you, you can tell them that their shampoo is, is irritating them and they'll go, does that mean I'm allergic? And you don't have the time to explain the difference between allergy and irritation. And so, like, I was just pulling my hair out. So that's why I wanted to write the book. Yeah. 
Well, now I'm going to refer my patients to your book because yeah. then I don't have to explain it to them. Which exactly. And that's why, you know, somebody, I was doing the agenda and they were like, well, if you help all these people, then you're not going to have patients to come and see you. I said, listen, there's 600 dermatologists in Canada. We're going to have enough patients. I don't want to be fine. I don't want to see patients with this. Yeah. So... <laughs> And, you know, to be cognizant of time, and, and uh, I know everyone's very busy, and uh, I wanted to, before we finally wrap oh, yeah. up, you know, for the residents, I, I'm doing another session um, with Melanie about specific considerations for contact, you know, so if you had a dentist or if right. you had a, you know, a nurse, but right. um, I wondered if you might share with us, what is the best allergic contact case that you have had thus far in your career? Uh, I've had so many, but one of the ones, and... Um, it was presented actually. We didn't publish it. I don't know why we didn't publish that. So I had this woman, um, she came in, she worked at a paint factory. She was a couple hours out of Toronto and she had blistering, like blistering dermatitis on the bottom of her feet. And Dr. DeComan had seen her, patch sister. She came up to, to uh, MI, methyl isothiazolone, and um, she was avoiding it. And, and uh, so she kept having these recurrent blisters and so then Joel asked me to see her. So I saw her and I retested her. I did some expanded series. It's, I can't remember. It's so long ago. And um, to make make a long story short, she came in one more time and she had rash on her nose right okay. here and a little bit on her forehead and on her bum. And I said, I said to her, I said, I'm sorry, but this really makes no sense to me. It makes no sense. And I, 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 you know, I've seen so many cases and I don't know. And so the, the long short of it, she called me, actually the police called me as well, because someone in her factory, she was a supervisor, was spraying MI on her computer, on her safety glasses and in her boots. So it was a oh allergic contact God. by proxy. <laughs> <laughs> and then just quite quickly, though, wow. that, that I had a guy come in with ski socks. He said, I'm allergic to my ski socks. And I said okay. And he showed me these pictures and he had these lines. You know when, do you ski? You get the yes. sort of lines from the socks after a long right. day of skiing. So he had blisters in the lines. And I was like, okay. what the hell? And I said, yeah, you're allergic to your socks. I said, I don't know. So we tested them, the textile. <laughs> we te Again, blistering response to, um, to MI. And he was the Kirkland detergent guy. Um, so he was the MI came out of the sock, I guess, with the extreme sweat and pressure. Wow. Only in the creases, and he had blisters. Oh, I mean, I can go on and on. I've had so many crazy <laughs> cases, but that's the fun part about contact. I have two cases right now that are lichen planus uh, contact dermatitis. I've never seen it in 20 years. Now I have two, both from uh, printing and color developing. So they had, it, yeah. you know... Sorry, I think it is really cool. And, and there's cases where you've seen something interesting or you've seen it at a conference and I or I saw it when I was a resident and now people come in and just kind of tweaks that, you know, like the whole thing about the, the couches from the brick and then right. yeah, you know, yeah, these different yeah. shampoos. And I, I think it's it's so cool. Yeah. Um, but I also un, am unable to keep all those chemical names straight in my head. So Well, neither am I. I mean, I, yeah, it's, it's uh, and I still have to read. I just, you know, the last part of that is... Um, I think I some days I think, oh, I know so much. And then I'm always surprised at, that I'm always learning. That's the fun part about contact dermatitis. I mean, I had a lady who was very difficult and she had, you know, widespread eczema and she worked at uh, Ferrer Rocher. And I said, oh, this woman isn't allergic. She's like hysterical kind of 
you know, and she was wildly blistering allergic to balsam approved. So she was getting okay. an, an airborne contact. So, you know, <laughs> we think we know, and I think you have to really listen to the patient, especially with contact dermatitis. Absolutely. And I think, you know, that's that's a huge part of contact where the history really does matter, which is interesting because for a lot of derm, uh, you know, the history doesn't matter as yep. much and you kind of go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But this yeah. is the opposite. Yeah. So, you know, I, I just wanted to thank you so much for joining me on this episode. Lots of interesting things that I've learned. Now I'm re considering all the numular eczemas that I can't cure and the, or settle and yeah, <laughs> all the yeah. weird lichen planuses. So I go back and look at the charts later. Yeah. But um, <laughs> again, you know, uh, truly appreciate your time. Well, and thank you for inviting me. me. And, yeah. uh, and uh, it was great. Dr. Sandy Scott Nicky is a dermatologist practicing in Toronto. You heard us mention Melanie Pratt a number of times, and the good news is you'll be able to hear from her yourself on our next and final episode in this season of Dermalogs. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. That way you'll be notified when the next one is published. But that's it for this episode of Dermalogs. Remember, if you have any questions you'd like to ask or if you have any ideas for future topics you'd like us to cover, let us know. Call toll-free 1-877-337-6564. That's 1-877-DERM-LOG. I'm Dr. Carrie Purdy. Thanks so much for listening.